we thank you for this promise that you will not fail us, that you have been utterly faithful through every season, every generation, for all time, God. And Lord, we know that when we look at Jesus, who lives forever as our priest, God, you will not fail. And so, God, we claim that this morning as we open your word. Father, fill us with your spirit. Speak to us from your word, God, and help us to live for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I think Shelly summed it all up, so I don't know if I need to say anything else uh, this morning. But we're going to try, and uh, we're talking about Jesus being our firm foundation. And we, you know, we like things that are sure, right? I mean, we're always looking for, especially in these years of inflation, somewhere safe to put our money, right, that it's going to be safe through these times. Maybe if you don't have any money, you're looking for a sure bet of how to get some. And uh, maybe you look to Bitcoin. We know that wasn't very sure. Um, You know, our whole American life is built on trying to be sure and firm that things are going to continue and continue in a good way. That's why we have insurance. So we have car insurance, house insurance, phone insurance, even pet insurance, right? Our whole life is looking for surety, a sure bet that things will go well. That's why those guys call you on your phone with the the extended warranty scams for your car, because they're betting on you on it to be sure that your car is going to last. Taking mine to the shop this week. So God reminded me that's not sure, right? But this is where we are when we come to Hebrews 7. Now, this is an interesting passage Um, And we want to remember that it's written to Jews that have become Christians, that are facing a lot of persecution in their life, and unsurety, what's happening, God? And it's pretty normal for us to wonder that when we face hard times. In fact, last week, Hebrews 6, Pastor Kevin talked about how they were warned about falling away from God, that maybe unsurety would breed doubt, and doubt would take them far from God. And he says, but yet I'm... I'm sure of better things for you guys. And this week he tells us what that is. That there is something out there that's sure, and it's this. It's their salvation, and this is how he knows it. That no matter what goes on in their life, the author of Hebrews wants to show us that our salvation is sure in Jesus. This is his main point. Because Jesus is a high priest, if you have made him your high priest, he is alive and he lives forever. We can be sure that he will accomplish what he said and he can do it through every season of life and every time period that has been. And so the author's answer is he wants us to look up to heaven. You're wondering about things, they feel unsure, look up to heaven, Jesus is still on his throne, he's still your priest. We're going to get through this, right? When we see Jesus there, we can know our salvation is sure. So this is what we're after today, understanding the surety of our salvation in Christ because of Jesus' position in heaven, that we need to look up from the problems we're facing, whatever's in your life, whether you're beset with sin or tragedy has come into your life, whatever is going on, there is something sure to grab onto, and that is Christ, our high priest. Now, as Shelley said, I'm going to tell you, Hebrews 7 gets a little crazy. <laughs> Might seem a little hard for us to understand, and maybe even seems a little out there, like why does it matter, as some of the kids said. Well, it doesn't matter. Why are we looking at Melchizedek? 
Um, but the author is going to make his point about the surety of our salvation by showing us how Jesus is like this kind of enigmatic priest from the Old Testament. So let's look at this. Jesus is the greater king priest like Melchizedek. This is Hebrews 7, 1 through 10. We've kind of been putting off this topic. He's mentioned it a little bit, but now's where he really goes into it. Hebrews kind of does that. It'll say things, and then eventually he talks a lot about it. So we're going to put on our Old Testament thinking caps for a second. Some of yours are a little tattered, and you've got to find it in the closet. But let's put it on. Let's hang on for a second, and I think we're going to see that this is quite... Uh, an understandable and good passage from us for us to look at. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 7, and I'll read verses 1 through 10 for us. Starting verse 20, it says, Jesus became a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Then it says this, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Then he is also king of Salem, that is, the king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever." See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them, from Levi, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute, then, that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes and paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. All right. A little mysterious, maybe a little confusing. We're going to unpack this, and I think you're going to see what's going on here. Uh, we got to get at first what is the author doing here, right? This is the this is a good principle of hermeneutics. We have a hard passage. We got to look at okay, what's the author's intent? What's he trying to communicate to us? And he gives us a few clues here. Hebrews seven five, he says Melchizedek resembles the Son of God, and then similarly Hebrews seven fifteen, he speaks of a a likeness between Melchizedek and Jesus. So what this author is doing, he's looking at this mysterious kind of figure at the Old Testament, and he's comparing it to Jesus. He's making a comparison, right? How does this figure help us understand who Jesus is and the salvation that has come in him? You could say he's finding a type of Christ. It's kind of like when God calls himself Father. Right? You can think of when God says, I'm a father, you go, well, I know what a father is. And so I can think some of the good things about my father t- teaches me about who God is. In the same way, the author saying, this guy Melchizedek, he's like Jesus. Jesus is better, but he's like him. And so we can learn some things about him. In fact, the Bible only talks about Melchizedek in four verses in the Old Testament. 
Three in Genesis and one in Psalm 110. And, and the author of Hebrews has recounted the story to us that Abraham's nephew Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. A bunch of kings came down and did war against them. They stole Lot and his family. So Abraham goes and rescues them. And then after the war, the king of Sodom and Melchizedek meet Abraham. And this king blesses Abraham. And in return, he gives him a tenth of his stuff back to this priest king. This is what he's recording, this small event in the Old Testament. But what the author of Hebrews wants us to see is that there's three really important points of likeness between Melchizedek and who Jesus is. So we're going to see these real quick. The first one here is Melchizedek's name. Okay, Hebrews 7.2 speaks of Melchizedek's name. It says he is the king of righteousness. This is really easy. Melech means king and Zedek means righteous in Hebrew. And you put them together and you get Melchizedek. Okay, So he's the king of righteousness. But who also is the king of righteousness? Jesus, right? Jeremiah 23, 5, looking forward to Jesus. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up from David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as a king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. He's saying, just like this guy was righteous, Jesus is the fulfillment of the righteous king. He is the greater king of righteousness. Righteousness means that you do all things well and right and that you will surely do them, that they will be done perfectly. And we know that Jesus lived a perfect life before God. He lived a righteous life and then righteously he laid it down to save us. He is God's righteousness towards us. And for those of us that follow Jesus, we get to enter into his righteous kingdom, his perfect kingdom, where he will deal rightly and steward everything given to him by God perfectly. Right? He's a good king like Melchizedek. Melchizedek also called the king of Salem. Salem is traditionally associated with Jerusalem. Right? He's the king of peace or the city of peace. Isaiah 9, 6, when we celebrate at Christmas, who do we celebrate this coming? The prince of peace. Right? So just like this king ushered in peace in this city, Jesus is the king of peace who is inviting us into his kingdom to find true peace. And I think a lot of us want peace today. Not only, we're not talking about just in the world, we're talking about in our soul. <laughs> we want to be at peace with God and what God is doing in this world. And so the author is saying, you want peace in your life? Then you need to look to the greater king of peace who is like this one so that you can find it. And so Melchizedek's name is like Jesus' name, and yet his is better. He also tells us that Melchizedek is like Jesus in function as a king-priest. Okay, so we've said he's a king. But also, as we said, when Abraham comes to him, Melchizedek blesses him as if he's a priest. He is a priest. By the God Most High, and then he blesses God, and then Abraham takes his tithes, and he hands them over to this priest of the Most High God. This is a fascinating thing. And what the, what the passage is telling us is that he's such a great 
priest that Abraham, who held all the promises of God and, and the lineage of the, of the priests of Levite that would come, he's saying all of them are really bowing down to this priest getting his blessing. That's a big statement. Okay? It's a huge statement. This is, again, this is speaking to Jews that have become Christians. Right? That's a big statement to say, you know what? This priest is better than all of those priests that you've known from the Old Testament. And even better than that is Jesus, the Son of God, who's now your high priest. And it's speaking to this question they're trying to answer. How could there be a new great high priest of God's covenant that didn't come from the Levites? He's saying, well, it's just like this guy Melchizedek. God made him a priest, and he was a priest. And he was not from their line. And that line bowed down to him. And Jesus is just like that. He's even better. So there is a reality of a greater priesthood than Israel had known. And Melchizedek was a part of it. He was appointed by God, served God apart from the line of Levi. And this helps us think about how Jesus has become our high priest. Remember, Jesus didn't come from the line of Levi, right? He's from the house of David of the tribe of Judah. (laughs) That's where the kings came from. And yet, God has appointed him to be our priest. Thirdly, it wants to show us that Melchizedek lives on just like Jesus is eternal. Okay, Hebrews 7.3, this is where we get kind of weird on this passage. We're like, man, we're getting into some X-Files or Stranger Things kind of things right here. When you start telling me that Melchizedek had no mother or father or genealogy and he didn't die, I'm not sure what i got to think about that. Right? So what's the author talking about here? It's not that Melchizedek was some eternal freak, right? And some people have thought maybe it's a theophany of Jesus that he came early in the Old Testament. I think he was a normal man. I think what the author is telling you is there's no background given for Melchizedek. We don't have a record of his father and mother, right? We don't have a record of when, we, when he dies. We just know that he appears as a priest, and then he goes away. And so it's as if he's this enigmatic, eternal figure. In the same way, if you press this analogy, Jesus does have a father and mother, so is he less than Melchizedek? But that's not what this is getting at. It's as if he is... Eternal, because there's no information that is given saying that he is the one who lives, but yet there is a greater one that lives forever. This is what he wants us to see. This passage is not necessarily about Melchizedek. It's about Jesus. We know that Jesus' earthly existence, how it came about, we know how he died, how he was raised, and yet God has made him a priest that lives forever like this guy seemed to live forever. And the fact that Jesus is alive and forever, this is the major anchor point of why we can be sure about our salvation. He is there and established, and his life goes along. It's ups and downs. We will one day pass away, and yet who is still on their throne as the king priest? It's Jesus. And so we know of everything else that is unsure, this thing is sure. And so let's look now at what it says, that Jesus is the high priest of a better hope. Okay, let's look at our next couple verses here. Hebrews 7, 
11 through 19. Here's what it says. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah and in connection with the tribe, that tribe, Moses had said nothing about priests. This becomes more evident when another priest arrives in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Okay, let's see what he's saying here. He's basically telling us, because there is a new priest who lives, God now has a better way of dealing with his people, which is going to mean we have a better hope. So let's look at this. Passage starts by telling us that we need something better. Okay, it says the law is unable to save us. Hebrews 7.11, perfection was not attainable through the law, through the priesthood. Again, that's a big statement, right? When you're talking to Jews that have become Christians, it's a big statement that, that we have to be, they knew we had to be perfect and holy and spotless without sin. The author is saying that the, the law and the priests, it could never get you there unless you followed it perfectly. And guess what? No one can. And so we were in need of something better. And you might go, well, why did God ever give the law if it, if it really didn't seem to work? Paul gets at this in Romans 7, um, 7 through 14. He says, look at the law came to teach you in God's economy what sin is. Right? It showed us here's what God demands, and he still has those demands, and it teaches us how far our heart has run away from him, that we break it in every sort of way. It highlights the ways our hearts Rebel against God. And furthermore, Paul tells us, when you hear that law, you know what your heart wants to do? Break it even more. And we know this. In fact, this week, you know, we have these, um, you guys know these probably well, these signs in, in our bathrooms here at Risen Life that say, just flush toilet paper only down the toilet. Now, my teenage sons and others say, well, what are we supposed to do with the other stuff, Dad, if we can only put toilet paper down there? I say, well, thank you for being a junior hire and educating me in the English language. You know what we're talking about. However, somebody saw this sign this week and said, I will flush a door stopper and a kitchen towel down your pipes. This is what our heart does, right? See the sign, you see the law, and you want to break it. So me and Tono, after $850 later, your pipes are working. Thank you. But this is our hearts, right? We see the rule. We see the law. 
and we want to break it. That's what the law came for. And yet the law can't change our heart. So no matter how hard you try to press into God's law, to try to do all of them, you just, it doesn't change your heart. At the end of the day, you still want to rebel against God. And listen, the law is not all bad. You know, Paul in Romans 7.12 tells us that the law is holy and righteous and good because it teaches us about who God is and it teaches us about our sinful hearts. And God used it to preserve his people for a time until Christ came. Romans 3.25 tells us this was the system that preserved God's people in faith until Christ could pay for their sins. So as people performed the law and the sacrifice, God set aside their sins and stored them up until he could place them on Jesus and deal with them definitively. But as Hebrew 10, 1 through 4 points out, it is impossible for blood, the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So we needed something better. And Hebrews 7 is telling us when Jesus came, there is necessarily now a change in God's covenant in the way that he deals with us. Romans 3, 21 and 24 tell us what has changed. It says, but now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. What the, what the book is going to go on to show us is that Jesus is the greater sinless high priest who made a better sacrifice of himself once and for all in God's greater temple in the heavens. There is nothing better than what Jesus did. And if you want to be saved, you have to put your faith in him. And for those that put our faith in Christ, we know that he takes our sin and he puts them on him in the cross and he dies for them. And in return, that king of righteousness accredits his righteousness to us as if we did his works. And God sees us as holy and blameless and perfect. Everything that the law desired given to us by Jesus so that we could relate to God. And that means you're fully accepted into his kingdom. There's nothing else you could do. You're fully accepted in this new covenant. But not only that, the covenant in Christ's blood has come so that God can change our hearts. This is really important. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 tells us that when God comes and changes our heart in Christ, he takes out of our heart of stone that wanted to rebel against him, and he puts in a heart of flesh that only wants to follow God and works at following God. In fact, God works in us in his spirit to desire to follow him. This is why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new creation in Christ. You're not the same. God has taken out that sin nature, and he's given you a new heart. And that couldn't have happened under the law. We needed a new high priest who could do the great work to bring us into God's throne and to give us a new heart and who will forever be in place ensuring our salvation is sure. And some of you need to give your life to Christ today. Listen, it's not going to be sure until you give your life to Christ. That's the only sure thing out there. 
You won't be able to defeat the sin. You won't make it through the hard times of life. And you'll have no hope for the future until you give your life to Jesus. This is the only way to get on the right track with God. And guess what? Here's the thing. This passage also points us to the fact that this was God's work. <laughs> God established Jesus as the high priest. God, Jesus being also God, did the work. And guess what that means for us? It's a sure thing that God is going to complete the work that he started in you. That's what Philippians 1.6 tells us. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus will make it sure that you go all the way to the end with him. Now, I want to say here just one important note for our culture as we think about this passage. Um, you know, we live in, a, in an interesting city, and this is one city that actually talks about Melchizedek and Aaron quite often. And I want you to see what he's also saying about these things here. Um, what he's saying about this Arianic priesthood or the priests in the line of Levites is that this was inadequate to save us, so it's been fulfilled now it was pointing to what Jesus would do, but yet Jesus supersedes it far beyond anything it could be. Furthermore than that, Jesus being a priest like Melchizedek, there was two requirements for that. One, God had to appoint you, and second, you have to be able to live forever. Who qualifies for that? There's one guy, and his name is Jesus. As Hebrews 7.16 says, Jesus has become a priest not on basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but on the power of an indestructible life. Hebrews 7.17 puts these two requirements together, quoting Psalm 110.4, God saying to Jesus, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the author is telling us Jesus superseded the priesthood of the Old Testament, and he is the one guy qualified to be the priest like Melchizedek forever. There's one guy that can ensure your salvation, and it's Jesus. Now, it gets better towards the end of Hebrews 7 here. Let's look at this last little bit. He tells us about our new and better hope. It's not only new and better, as we've been talking about, but it's guaranteed we like those words as Americans, right? It's guaranteed. Hebrews 7, 20 through 22, it says this. And it, or this new and better hope, was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. What he's saying here is, look, what God did in Jesus will never, ever, ever change. This is it. This is God's final word towards humanity is in Jesus' blood and him administering a new covenant in heaven. There's nothing else. It will never change. So you can be sure that whatever God or whatever you face in life, whatever life throws at you, this is sure. Your salvation is sure if it's with Jesus. He will see you through. He will be with you. It's sure. There's nothing else to look for. This is it. 
fact, when it talks about here in a second, when it says we, God is, Christ is with God ever interceding for us, it's as if you have that red presidential phone, and when you pray to the Father through Christ, he hears you every time because that's Jesus' job forever. Romans, Paul says this in Romans 8, 31, and you can see the rest of the verses up there. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is, no one and not anything. Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who's interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There's nothing, no one, no situation, nothing can separate you from God's love. This is God's definitive word towards us. Verse 37, it says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord because he is the only high priest that God has said he will reign forever. When you give your life to Jesus, he will see you through this life and he will save you, period. Your salvation is sure. And so he says when things get difficult, right, things get unsure, look up. Remember, Jesus is still there. He's interceding for you. He guarantees that your salvation will be accomplished. So look at the end here. What does this all mean? The author of Hebrews at the end gives us a little more application to what he's been saying, which has been quite detailed. Look at Hebrews 7, 23 through 8, 2. He says this, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy Innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. I love this when the author gives you this right here. Now, this is the point of what I'm saying. (laughs) We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up and not man. Benji, you can come on up. In this passage, the author reminds us that Jesus is the only one qualified for this job, right? To be our high priest, he is holy, he is innocent, he is unstained from sin, he is made a better and complete, once and for all, never to be topped, sacrifice that dealt with our sin. There's no one else needed, he's perfect, he's now ministering in the heavenly temple of God. Since he ascended to the Father's side, he's been there evermore and will be there forever. Alive before God, unchanging, eternal, indestructible life. And you know what he's doing? He's praying for you. 
That's God's purpose here. This is what God has done, that we have a high priest who's interceding for us that can bring us back to God, and he will be there forever, ensuring that we can be with God forever. And if we make Jesus Lord, our salvation is sure. So this morning, you're feeling the weight of your sin. Maybe you're really going through it in life right now with things that are happening. Things feel out of whack and unsure. The Bible says we've got to look up. Remember what is sure. That if you'll draw near to Jesus, he can save you. That's what he said. Anybody he can save to the uttermost, anyone that would draw near to him. So we need to draw near. What do you need God to do in your life? Where do you need him to move? Where do you need him to bring you peace? He's saying, draw near to me and I am sure to do it. I love this promise in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. Speaking to the exiles of Israel, saying, look it, if you'll just come back, I'll be with you. God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for your evil. To give you a future and a hope. If you will call upon me and come and pray, I will hear you. If you will seek me, you will find me. And I will be found by you. And I will restore you. So that's the question this morning. You want to be found by God? You want to find God this morning? He says, call out to me. And this high priest who I've installed can save you to the uttermost. What do you need to call him out about today? Maybe you need to give him your life for the first time. Jesus says, come. Come and give me your life. Say, Lord, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. And would you save me to the uttermost? He says, I can do it. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Maybe you need to respond to him this morning. Let's respond to him as we sing.